Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode number 100. Turn up, boys. I'm Matthew Turner, alongside my co-hosts, Tom Wilkinson, and special guest from Pride of Detroit at Detroit Online, Jeremy Reisman. How are you doing, guys? Doing great. Doing great. Happy to be here for a special occasion. Yeah, we should have got a cake or something. I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't know what we're doing to celebrate, but other than, obviously, Jeremy, you being here, but no cakes, sadly. <laughs> The mustache. They call me the everything. human cake. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I got rum. I can offer rum. So <laughs> yeah, sure. Celebrate, right? We got to with with all the all the COVID happening over here, over there. Drinking is always available. So right, <laughs> but we can also talk about Lions football, which we will do in just a moment. Cardinals at Lions on Sunday. We're going to kick off with a quick little uh, interview with Jeremy. But let's just start by saying. Discord channel still open, so please join us there. Very active during game day all through the week about Lions and soccer and sport in general and whatever. So come and join us there. DM us on Twitter, which is open. We'll give you a link. Uh, we have got the College Football Podcast. So that aired yesterday. They were talking about bowl games. They were talking about Army-Navy and all that sort of stuff. Go and check that out. We also talked to Herman Moore for 20 minutes yesterday. That was a really good little short sequence for you, so you want to check that out as well. Don't forget to like and sub on our YouTube channel, on Twitch, on this episode. That really helps out. And Lions Nation Unite, you need to download that app. But it's going to be the next big thing in Lions fandom. Let's kick off our little interview with Jeremy. And I did a little digging with most guests I like to do. I like just to get to know the person, because sure. I feel like I've been a fan of the show for... I mean, as, as, as long as I discovered that podcasts were a thing, which I think happened yeah. like three years ago for me. Um, <laughs> and yet, you know, you listen to all of these guys and you kind of almost come in halfway through the story and it's like the rapport's already there and you're like, yeah. okay, well, I can just go with this. But how did it all start? So I found out that you have a, a, a BA in psychology from U yeah. of M, which I, I did not anticipate whatsoever. And then you started out your career as a behavioral therapist, yeah. which... Which is amazing. So you went from there to the, the love dog and you were a Lions blogger for a while and then joined Pride of Detroit. And the, the first question which occurs to me is, what was the impetus moving from, I'm guessing you went to U of M and were in state and maybe were a Lions fan beforehand. Yep. So that would have already been a thing. But what, what made the transition into journalism for you? How did that happen? I, I, it, I just kind of fell into it a little bit, honestly, like um, Pride of Detroit had always kind of been a part of my life since the, the you know, I didn't start Pride of Detroit. I, I don't know how many people know the the history of the website, but Sean Ewell is the guy who originally started it. I, I don't even know how long ago it was, um, but that was kind of my go to site. It was a way for me to, to connect with Lions fans virtually. Um, and so I kind of always had my my eye on that site and. In, it, I really started writing in 2008 just kind of as a hobby um, during the 0-16 season. Just kind of, I, I call it as like a form of self-therapy, like just kind of getting your way through the season. And um, Pride of Detroit has always had a section called fan posts where you could write 
you know, articles or analysis or whatever you want in, in a little fan post section. And so I, that year I developed a preview, which became my on paper preview that I still do to this day, actually. Um, and Sean noticed it and was like, Hey, I kind of like it. And, you know, as, as the managing editor of the website, you have the, the option of, of putting it on the front page of the site so that people, you know, normally the fan posts are on, on the right col- column. You, you probably miss them if you're not looking for them, but you can put them on the front page. And he started putting some of those on the front page. And eventually he asked me like, Hey, do you want to just write for the front page? You know, I can't pay you anything, but it's, it's exposure. And I'm like, sure. Why not? Like that more exposure. It'd be fun to see people write or read my writing. And, and so I did that. And so, you know, I never, I never really went through a formal education with journalism and things like that. So it just, from there on, it, it grew and grew. And, and once I kind of got my foot in the door, I, I kicked the door open and I wanted to do more. I wanted to do film analysis. I wanted to do statistical analysis. I wanted to, to write, you know, any kind of stories I could about the lines, because as, as you mentioned, I, I grew up here in Michigan and have, have, you know, we had season tickets as a family when I was a kid. So I, I've always been a Lions fan. And so, you know, just, just having a taste of it, like it, it always, it was always in the back of my mind that maybe this could be something I could do for a living. Um, I just didn't really know what exactly it was. You know, I, at one point, I think I wanted to be an announcer, but I didn't really feel like I had the, the, the verbal, you know, communication to, to be able to do that or, or the cadence needed to do that writing. I don't know. I, I think you could beat out Mark Sanchez. to be honest. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Uh, but yeah, even, even writing early on, you know, it wasn't my strong suit. I was, I was actually really good at math in school. And, and so um, I, I, you know, I went through my whole educational thing, just kind of floating, trying to figure out what I do. I, I, I as you mentioned, I, I, I found psychology because I feel like that's everybody's kind of fallback major here, here in the States is just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I'm interested in people. So psychology. Um, and that's what I did. And, you know, I, I enjoyed the work that I did, as you mentioned, as a behavioral therapist working with children with autism for about five years. Um, but it's also very tough work and eventually I got burnt out on it. And so, again, I kind of went wandering again. I was still doing all the writing in the background. I, I managed a dog daycare center, as you, as you alluded to, for, for a few years. And eventually when Sean stepped down, I had been doing enough work for the website that I was the first guy that he recommended for the job. And as soon as that door opened up, that's when I was like, okay, I should really be taking this seriously now. I should really be doing everything I can because this is a very unique opportunity. I mean, there weren't really any other Detroit Lions blogs out there that had the reach that Pride of Detroit did at the time. So I recognized that it was a, is a really important, really big platform and I didn't want to squander the opportunity. And so, <clears throat> you know, I was still living, I was actually living it out in Los Angeles for at the time when I took over. Um, but then I was really trying to like pound on the lines door and see if we could get access. And then we did in four years ago, the, the last year of Jim Caldwell's era. Um, and I was still in California for that. And I was just like, I think I should probably be back in Michigan. If, if they're giving <laughs> us like access to games and press conferences and things like I need to be there. And so I moved back to Michigan the, the next year and it's kind of been, you know, history since like it's, it's been a weird wild ride and it's definitely not, you know, the, the normal route to, to being a journalist, being a sports writer, being whatever you want to call me at this point. Um, but, uh, I I'm thankful for it. And I, you know, I, I think, I, I think there was some luck involved, but obviously I I also made sure that when I had the opportunities, I didn't squander them. Incredible amount of hard work off your own back. That's, it's really impressive. And obviously Pride of Detroit has changed massively since you joined. So the YouTube channel launched shortly after you joined, uh, then I, I presume probably very soon after you became managing editor, 
the POD car started back up. I know it kind of flamed out really early on. It kind of didn't do much at all. And then Chris, I, I think it was Chris, probably started yeah. it off uh, in September 2015. Now you're really active doing Twitch and Discord too. And the amount of stuff that you do, the number of articles is is incredible, insane. Now, I assume that you've got a lot pre-written for in the morning because when I wake up in the morning, yeah. there's something new that's just dropped. And it's like, but it's like four in the morning in the US, like, how has this happened? <laughs> um, what's what's the most, what's the biggest change since you've been at the organization, do you think? And what's the most in, most enjoyable part of the job right now? Because obviously, it used to just be all writing. And right. now, I mean, it's probably a lot still writing, but it seems to be so much more. You're doing a podcast, I don't know, sometimes it seems like every other day maybe more so i think you guys are out doing us at this point but uh, (laughs) i mean but yeah no i I think you're you're on to it something there because yeah i I think one of the things when i took over i i immediately recognized that the landscape was changing right like you said it wasn't just writing and i didn't want to ever lose the writing part and we we try not to i mean we're we're trying to put out at least seven eight articles a day during the season um just because we know that's 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 still where the majority of, of our content gets consumed um but we noticed, you know, that all the live streaming platforms like that seemed like a really good opportunity. The podcast was like the first the first move that we had to do. And and Chris was instrumental in that because I was it was interesting when I took over as, as managing editor of Pride of Detroit at the time. We also had a slew of like six or seven new hires for Pride of Detroit. And that was that was Sean. Like he I think at that point he knew that he was going out. He was going to leave. And so he, he tried to, you know, fill his spot with as many people as possible. But at the same time, that was me like oh, I have a whole slew of people I need to manage that I don't even know yet. And so Chris was really adamant about starting a podcast and I thought that was a good idea. And so we did. I wasn't even a part of it at the time because I was just like, I'm in over my head right now. I don't know what I'm doing. And eventually like, you know, I was listening to him like, that sounds like fun. I want to be a part of it. And I just kind of like elbowed my way into there and was like, I I need to be part of this. Like I, this is, this is, I, I feel like this is where the future is going. And then so we did the podcast for a while. There was no live element to it. There was no video element to it. Um, but then that sort of stuff exploded. I think it started with Facebook Live. We started doing pregame and postgame shows on, on Facebook Live, and that was really fun. Um, but, you know, Facebook, not not my favorite audience, if I'm, if I'm going to be completely honest. So whenever anything else uh, emerged, you know, there was Twitter for a while. Um, I, I, what's the Periscope for a while? We, we, I think we tried that. Um, and then eventually we, we landed on Twitch about three years ago and that has been our, our home since, you know, we, we do YouTube stuff. We, we upload our Twitch broadcasts, um, to YouTube, but Twitch for whatever reason, it, it just seemed like the, the right fit for us. It, it's, it's still kind of a tight knit community, you know, um, you know, we, we're not getting the numbers we would have on Facebook live because Facebook is obviously huge, but I think we found the right character of, of people that we want to be talking to the right audience, the right niche. Um, which is which is hard to do, and it, it it's it's been extremely rewarding. I think, and, and to answer your question, what's been the most rewarding? I think it's kind of been that live broadcast Twitch thing because it's just it's so much fun. It's it's a way to interact with people on a level that you don't really get to through writing or, or even podcasting because there's just a live element to it, and you know we can do a whole bunch of fun things. You know, a couple of years ago we were doing live karaoke on our Twitch channel, which is crazy. We played Fortnite with Graham Glasgow a couple times. Um, you did and that just, just recently, right? You, you yeah, did it for the yeah. charity stream you had him on. Yeah. 
yeah, our, our, our 15 hour charity stream that we, that we did a couple of weeks ago, Graham was a part of it. And, and, and honestly, like the pandemic also helped that out a, a lot because, you know, live streaming just became a huge thing. Zoom became a huge thing. So now we can do these interviews with, with big people like Dane Brugler, who's a guy I didn't even think would ever return my, my Twitter DM. We got to talk to him about the draft a couple of weeks ago and, and it's Twitch has been like perfect for, for the entire thing. And, you know, stuff like YouTube, like, offers all the same things but for whatever reason twitch really really resonated with us and and has been awesome for us and so i'm i'm, I'm happy to see you guys on twitch i want i want to always try to push your guys' stuff because i think there's there's always so much room for uh, a, a lot of different voices here in in lines fandom and twitch is really i think an untapped market for a lot of people yeah i completely agree i, I think the lines are really blessed with so many good content guys i mean i know you've been on Luke G's stream and he's really helped mm -hmm. bring us along in this sort of format actually on Twitch and the way that you guys do it you take fairly frequent breaks and the breaks seem to sometimes be longer than the podcast <laughs> with you guys just chatting yeah. and chatting to the audience it's uh how, how did you come up with that as a format like we just kind of go straight through and I mean I realize some part of that is that you want sometimes to get some sponsors in but if you wanted to do that you could just go to break and then immediately come back and insert right. it in. You don't have to stop for half an hour and just <laughs> chat amongst yourselves. And then the scraps came in and that was a really great addition. I know that Chris is super busy with, with Fox and what have you. Yeah. So that hasn't been made an appearance every week, but that was terrific. I loved listening to that when I wasn't able to join in live. So how did you come up with it? It's, it's, it, that's a great question because, you know, in the early days of the podcast, we didn't really know what we wanted to be because, you know, th there's a lot of really good podcasts out there. You know, the Detroit Lions podcast, I think they're kind of more like a radio show. Um, Eric's the Detroit Lion breakdown is very like informational and like, this is what happened this week. This is, and then like, we were trying to be like, we want to be, you know, smart and analytic, but we also want to have fun. And Chris and I would kind of butt heads a lot of times where I'm like, I want to be more analytical. I'm, I'm the sports writer. I want to, I want to like talk about this and this and this. And he's like, let's be a little more loose. Let's be funnier. Let's be SB nation, you know, a fan site and be silly. And so I think we finally found this happy medium where with Twitch, where like we can be pretty serious and, and stay on topic during the, the podcast, but during those breaks, we can be silly. We can talk about food. We can talk about movies. We can talk about our favorite TV show. I think you should leave and, and just like go off. And then, and then now we have these two separate podcasts. Like you said, we have the, the informational regular POD cast and we have the scraps where we're just talking about whatever the hell comes to mind. And um, we, we still try to keep it kind of light on both sides and, and, you know, but, but I, I think it, it, that worked out in, in a really good sense that, that made both Chris and, I, and us happy because we, we were kind of struggling to figure out what our voice was. But it makes it so distinctive, the difference between audio and live. So I'll edit this when we're done, put it up, and it will be pretty much exactly as you see on YouTube on the audio format. For you guys, it's completely different. Yeah. It's a yeah. really kind of different experience. It's great. Right. And and that's also, it's it's us all trying to incentivize more people to come to the live audience because they, they can, I, I think it, it it is a little bit more of a fun experience if you're there in the chat and you're, you're, you're you can guide the conversation. You can, you can make us do a list cast of, of our favorite things um, using channel points on Twitch. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's a way to, to kind of feed both bees because podcasts, I think people have to realize that podcasts are a very intimate form of art for some people. Like they, they want to feel like you're, you, they're your friends that you're listening to. And, and in a lot of ways they are. Um, and, and I think Twitch kind of reach, reaches people in that kind of intimate way in a way that, that just, you know, listening to a podcast might not necessarily accomplish. Similar kind of also in between feeling between 
YouTube and an audio pod in terms of how it makes someone feel. I, I totally get that. I've talked for a while, Tom. You, I know you had quite a few questions, so maybe one occurs to you that's relevant here. Um, yeah, I guess you were talking about your time, and obviously you've seen a few different regimes and things like that. And obviously you talk about your prior work being very different to this. I guess I'm intrigued as to how much the atmosphere in, in the building and in the, the franchise at each time really impacts on you and the team. So, for example, now, sure, we don't have many wins, but everyone's in a pretty good mood. All yeah. did it. This time last year, well, a little bit earlier than this time last year before Thanksgiving, it was not the case, right? So I imagine that really takes a toll on, on your team as well, to be honest. No, uh, no question. I mean, it, I, can, I can really tell the character, if you're, if you're just talking about the people at Pride of Detroit, the, the, I can really tell the character of the, of the people at the Pride of Detroit that can still push out writings this time of year. And it's certainly made easier by it being year one by, by Dan Campbell being a very entertaining guy and really the entire coaching staff being, you know, really entertaining, interesting people. But yeah, if, if, if you can push out content and still be entertaining and all that sort of stuff in December, in the middle of a, a, a one in 11 year, in the middle of a three and 13 year, whatever it is, um, it, it's, it's impressive. And yeah, like you said, the 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 culture has been completely different, and and some of it's hard to tell, right? Because two years ago we were in locker rooms, and you could see, you know, a, a lot of times we'd we'd come out after practice or come after uh, a game and go into the locker room after one of those Matt Patricia losses, and there would just be no one there. It'd be crickets. You'd talk to the same guy every week because everyone's just like, "I'm getting showered and I'm getting the hell out of there." And yeah. Um, it's, it's tough to deal with it. It's, and it's tough for that not to rub off on you too. I mean, the, the season is a marathon and even now it, it does feel like it's, it's, we're kind of grinding to, to like find the, the interesting story here when, I mean, there's just so many new faces that, that aren't probably going to be around next year that I don't know how many people are interested in. And, and the ones that are sticking around I me, mean, we talked to Evan Brown today for, I, I feel like what was the 10th time in the past month, which I mean, he's a backup center. Like he's, he's, he's actually really good in the media and, and tell some interesting stories, but it, it can be really tough this time of year. And, and that's all made all the more tough by, you know, a regime that's not very fun. That doesn't give you very, very much in front of a, yeah. in front of a podium. And so I, I definitely am thankful. You know, I, I really enjoy our Thursdays because we get to talk to the coordinators and I think Aaron Glenn's press conferences are can't miss every week because I learned something from him every single time he steps in the, in front of the podium. And so I'm still, I still, you know, I still have a little bit of energy, but it's getting to that point where like, we're already talking about draft rumors. I'm just like, Oh boy. Oh, your favorite, your favorite subject. <laughs> When's your first mock coming out? Is it, is it um, the week or next week? Or, you know? I'm thinking maybe 2026. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll finally break down then. <laughs> I've got a question from Dan. He's one of uh, your biggest supporters, I think. Um, <laughs> sure. And he says, He's asking for a quick list cast, which okay. we've, we've never done one, but, but you're familiar with them. He has said, at Royal the Lions, what are your top five sports films? Um, we didn't hear um, Jeremy's or something to that effect, actually. It's moved up somewhat now, but he says he likes the original Meme Machine with Richard Keel. Um, I don't really do films, so this is really hard for me. Like, <laughs> I just, I, I pref much prefer... Um, TV shows, and I'll, I'll watch the old film. But I mean, Rocky has to be up there, right? Like you can't you can't avoid several of the Rocky films. Potentially one and two are masterpieces. Senna has to be up there. Um, 
remember the Titans, uh, Coach Carter. Any any massive ones that I'm missing? What's up there? The long. Um, I, I don't know. I'm 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 just I, my reputation for a lot of them. Yeah, the conversation we had on on our podcast on this was like I I don't really like sports movies because to me they never really live up to the excitement of the actual thing. Like I don't think I don't know how you can recreate something like like just two weeks ago the Lions winning their first game. How do you recreate that on screen? I don't think you can no. because everything's you know in Hollywood just kind of seems to to follow a, a formula that you get used to, and a lot of times you already know the story, right? Okay, so Rocky is basically. Lions Baltimore this season. <laughs> like sure, yeah. we, yeah. it was a glorious defeat. <laughs> um, and while you're here, got any questions for Jeremy? No, I'm, I'm sure you've gone over them <laughs> while we've been here. I know uh, how much of a fan you are, so you know I trust you to have covered all bases. My favourite um, bit was Jeremy as you were talking about being light-hearted comedy. And came on in a dark car, looking as much like a bouncer as I've ever seen him. <laughs> and I was slightly worried for all of us for a minute. Oh, man. Um, going for an adventurous have? background. <laughs> yeah, right. How was the bar this evening? Quiet. Not been too bad. So, you know, hey-ho. It is what it is. But I was never going to miss episode 100, so don't worry about that. <laughs> um, actually, something I wanted to come on to, because... Is something perhaps we don't fess up to all the time, but what in in the history of you supporting the team? What's the most unpopular lines opinion you've held? Ooh, most un. You know what? And and this is this is not going to be a great look for me personally, but I I thought Matt Patricia diver- deserved a third season. I did. Um, I thought. I, I thought he deserved to to really. I, I I didn't think the roster was was particularly good after two years. Um, I thought. Um, he deserved at least one more shot at, at getting the roster. And I understand like we look back now and it's like, that was a pivotal year when the Lions could have potentially gotten a quarterback and, and could have turned the page a year early and they'd be, you know, one year ahead of the, the rebuild at this point, if, if, if they were, but I don't know, like, I, I, I think we also like, we look at like the urban Meyer situation be like the red flags were there from the beginning. I don't necessarily think there were that many red flags right at the beginning with Matt Patricia. There were obviously some, like there was a whole running thing when he started and then, but like really all the stories that we got about Matt Patricia really came in right after he was fired. Like all the former players were just like saying everything. And, and so it wasn't as clear to me at the time that that had reached such a toxic level. And I think if I knew that, then I would, I would have been fine with, with firing like a lot of fans I think were after year two, but in general, I do think it's smart to preach some patience with, with new head coaches. And and this is a topic that we're probably going to get into in the next year or two when you know the rebuild still isn't completely done with with Dan Campbell and, and they're still losing games maybe next year um but I, I do feel like there, there needs as long as you aren't pulling an urban Meyer and you aren't like completely turning the locker room and the culture uh in in the wrong direction I, I do feel like sometimes it takes two three years to really um get the the plan in place get the players that you want in place and so at the time I thought let's let's just see it out like like let's let's give him a, an opportunity to win or lose his job. And that's what the Lions did. And, and we are where we are now. And so um, whether it was the right or wrong decision, I, I guess it is up for everyone else to decide. But at the time I, I did think it was the right decision. And I no, think it's hindsight as well, to a degree, yeah. because even the whole Quandre, Dr- Quandre Diggs, uh, Darius Slay thing, I kind of got past and actually I didn't really want to pay Slay. And he's the guy who's on the back of my Jersey. I've got, he's my favorite player, but we'd reached that point where actually I was worried he was on the downturn. I was happy with that decision. Right. And similarly coming into the, 2020 season 
I think everyone, even as a fan or anyone in the world, feels like 2020 it kind of punched them in the face. And I felt like the team was coming <laughs> together quite nicely. As in, yeah. roster was, it wasn't a Super Bowl champ, but I was like, you know, maybe we can do something this year. A lot of the things around kind of social injustice, it really felt like that team was pulling together. So actually, I felt pretty positive in a similar way going into 2020. And then that first game of the season is the most demoralized I've, I've been coming out. So it's easy to look back and say, yes, uh, no one wanted Patricia, et cetera. But I was in a similar place, at least in the preseason leading up to 2020. I felt a lot more positive than I did, well, kind of four quarters in, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right with you. So I thought that he deserved a third season, mainly because I was kind of like, I'm 80% sure this is going to fail, maybe more, but it's not 100% of fail. And the thing is, if we tear this down, it's not going to be pretty. So it's going to be better than that. And if it goes to pot, well, we've lost one season. But what's one season since 1957? Like, let's try it. I mean, it's actually something we're going to get onto later. But Cliff Kingsbury entered this season, I think, pretty firmly on the hot seat. So a guy who last year had flattered to deceive. They got out to this really hot start not too dissimilar to this season, and then they went to absolute hell. And actually, the end of this season, going, well, if he isn't above 500, at the very least, and probably making the playoffs at worst, he might be gone. And yet we're talking about the team with the joint best record in the NFL. So, I mean, what more can you say? Now, I think you could say that the scheme wasn't entirely translating, the roster wasn't particularly good to begin with, there were mitigating factors there. And with Patricia, I think it's absolutely obvious to me that he was excellent at keeping his cars close to his chest he never gave anything away in his interviews but also with his team you know you could see that he had them disciplined very very well which is why it all came out after he'd left that was all part of of the machine that he was running so it is not strange to me at all that he ran a very tight ship and then it's not strange to me at all that dan campbell comes in and says well but they've left us high quality high character guys like well, yeah, that's what they prized almost as highly as really slow linebackers. So, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I, I absolutely was on board with keeping him for a third year. It, it felt like the least worst decision. Yeah, and, I, yeah. I, th- I think that's fair. And then, yeah, I, I, like like Tom said, I think I think a, a lot of us are using hindsight at this point and saying like, no, you guys, it was obvious after two years, like it wasn't working well. I, like I feel like everyone's drinking the Kool Aid in, in the beginning of 2020 and and thinking like, listen, we, we finally got we finally got healthy, right? Like that's a, that's the thing that everyone loves to say at the beginning of the year, like, oh, we're finally healthy. Well, everyone everyone's healthy at the beginning of the year, um, and so yeah, and I think the thing that really kept me going too is is the flashes that we would see every year, is like that Miami game that they played on the road where they ran the ball a ton, they played good defense, they they beat the Patriots, they beat the Packers, like they they have these flashes that those flashes every now and then during during Patricia's you know reign that that really made you feel like they could just do that more consistently, and that that's the difference between a good and a great team is just consistency. And so you saw the the game plan work at times. You saw. The, the the vision that that he was going for work you just didn't see it consistently and then obviously all the the, the locker room stuff that that we figured out afterwards was was all that we figured out after, afterwards so it's uh I, I'm glad to hear that I wasn't completely alone at least in this room and that because I do <laughs> feel like I'd got buried for that one a little bit uh, a few months later I mean we're here now so Ah, well. Um, right. Just asking for any more questions from the guys live, but there were a couple in advance from Ash on our Discord. The first one was, 
who is your favourite player to interview or has been your favourite player to interview or do a press with? And if he takes the easy answer of Jamal, push him for another. <laughs> okay, yeah. Jamal, I mean, Jamal has to be up there, right? Like, he's he's been on our podcast a few times and he's just, like, he's he's always on. And it, it's weird because you ask, you ask players, you assume, like, a guy like that is on in front of the camera, right? Once the cameras are on, that's when he's being silly and stuff. But yes, because his teammates like, no, that's, that's just him. Like he's like that a hundred percent of the time and, and just kind of crazy. Now, if I were to give another answer and this would kind of go in a different uh, direction, Glover Quinn was extremely fun to talk to in a completely different way. Um, He would literally, he, he made it so we would only be able to talk to him once, once per week. He would make, I, I don't remember if it was Wednesdays or Thursdays, but he would sit there for the entire 45 minutes that we got in the locker room and just answer questions. And just, I mean, you could, you could understand why he was the player that he was because it's just wise beyond his years. Just you'd ask him anything and he'd give you a long, thorough answer. You'd always learn something about the game, talking to him and just a very affable person who like would never take a question the wrong, like the wrong way and be offended by a question. You could literally ask him anything and I don't think he would ever take offense to it. And so um, that's, that's exactly the kind of guy you want where you could just like sit down there for 45 minutes and listen. And that, that's like, I don't want I don't want to hear the sound of my own voice when I'm talking to someone. I want, I want to hear them. And so he's a guy that, you know, so, sometimes I wouldn't even be asking the questions. I'd literally just be standing there with my recorder. Just like, I don't want to listen to anyone else. They're not giving me the kind of answers you are. And so Glover Quinn to me uh, is a guy that I'm going to, that I, I still currently miss in the locker room um, because he, he just made me a, a smarter football fan. And now he talks lines as well. So, you know, yeah. there's that too. Um, there's loads of questions in Twitch actually for you, so maybe I'll go into a couple. First one's a bit more of a flippant statement. Ask him if he'll bite into an onion for us. I did watch <laughs> that. That was horrific. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> um, Derek Bobarek says, what have you seen this season that gives you the most hope for the future of this team? Uh, I mean, I feel like this has been my answer since since training camp, and it's the coaching staff. Um, I, I really, I really like the coaching staff. I really like um, the development of these young players. You know, they they aren't playing crazy well, but I mean, just like a guy like Jerry Jacobs, that I don't know, I don't know if he has any kind of success anywhere else this year. I feel like he landed in the perfect spot for himself, not only because the opportunity was there, but because of a guy like Aaron Glenn and Aubrey Pleasant, like they're doing kind of wonders in that secondary. And I know if you look at all the stats, they, they don't look great, you know, passer rating yards per attempt, all that sort of stuff, but the lines are, are, are dead last in or, you know, bottom five in, but you look, I mean, if you just watch those games, you see how hard these guys are fighting and, and, you know, Jerry Jacobs, like he looks like he could potentially be a CB two in this league, like a starter. And that to me is just, that speaks incredibly of a coaching staff to be able to do that with a guy and, and to Jacobs himself. Like you have to give the, the player a ton of credit for, for working his butt off from being a, a, you know, a guy who's barely going to make the, the practice squad to a guy who's, who's capable of starting. But um, I, I just, I look across the board, even, you know, the wide receiving core is starting to come together. The running backs that we're seeing, you know, four or five deep that are, that are, that are playing well. Brock Wright is a guy, um, you know, Ben Johnson, it, it, is, is getting spoken of very highly by Jared Goff, a guy who, you know, thinks the world of him right now, thinks he's going to be an offensive coordinator. You know, I, I think it, it, it's interesting. Like, I feel like the Lions are, are kind of a farm team right now for players and for coaches. Like, they're developing these guys in, into better coaches, developing these players into better players. And to me, that's the sign. Like, that's how you get long-term success, right? Is you have these guys that can churn out, you know, production and production out of, out of guys that, that don't necessarily – expect it and so um 
you know, as long as they can get some of these top tier guys, these game changers, like a guy like Panesio that they've already proven they can get in. If, if they hit on some of these top draft picks, I'm starting to think like, you know, some of these guys that they're developing, a lot of them people are like are saying, you know, who are these guys? They're not even going to be part of this team. Well, they could be, they could be part of their depth. Like depth is just as important because you get to this time of year and let's say you're, you're eight and three instead of 11 and one or whatever it is. Like these are the depth guys that are going to be playing for you because every team gets injured this time of year. And so you're going to need guys like Jerry Jacobs on your roster. You're going to need guys like AJ Parker on your roster who might not be starters in the future, but if they can come in at the end and, and end of the season and, and, and fill in a guy, whether it's for COVID or flu or whatever injury, like you need those depth players. And so once lines get those, those premier starters, I think they're starting to turn the bottom of that roster to be a really strong unit that can come in and, and come in seamlessly because you, you, we're seeing what Jerry Jacobs and AJ Parker can do at the beginning, but, but how are they going to look once they come into training camp already knowing the system already knowing what's expected of them, they can reach in a level that we're not seeing even right now. So I, I think there are some p- players to still watch through these last four games that it could be a part of these teams future, even if they're not starting. One of the most exciting things I think is it's the young guys. I didn't really have expectations for who have really right. kicked on. Um, take Iffy, for example, I remember watching him back in January at the senior bowl and technically he was loose, let's say. Amazing athlete, but loose. Yeah. And I thought he was going to get torn to shreds. Similar with Jerry Jacobs. His first um, his first reps on the field, he was all over the place. The speed of development and even going all the way to Panay, he was struggling with a lot early on, but he wasn't making those same mistakes again and again. And it's that kind of development with the with the guys, which I think is most impressive. For sure. Yeah. And and I and to add to that, like. I'm consistently wowed by the culture and I know, I know culture doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, and I, I know a lot of people kind of shoo shoot away and say like, you know what? Um, I don't like you, you can have a Matt Patricia as long as you're winning, but you know, even I was or an Urban to, Meyer <laughs> or an Urban Meyer. Like <laughs> I, I, I do, I, I do believe that there are different, you don't have to have like this kind of, you know, kumbaya holding hands type of environment to, to get it to work, but there needs to be obviously some sort of, harmony you know you have to have everyone pushing in the same direction but you know listening to the the chris spielman interview that he did with the the espn reporter for the cardinals just how self selfless of a guy that is it really feels like they have a room of selfless people in every part of the building now you know he he talks about you know he doesn't want to be a general manager he doesn't want to be a head coach he's literally in there to just help everyone do their jobs better he's he's at their service and it does feel like everyone is kind of in that but like Anthony Lynn, is, is, I think, is kind of the perfect example, a guy who has every right to kind of be upset right now. And, and not a lot of people would even blame him for just be like, you know what, if you don't want me calling plays, then what am I doing here? I'm, I'm like, please let me go somewhere else or let me just take the rest of the year off. Instead, like he's he's bit his tongue. He's he's continuing to, to not rock the boat and do what they're asking of him. And that speaks to a really high character of of, of a culture in here. And I I guess maybe it's, it's, it's culture shock for me coming from the previous regime, but to me, it's just, it makes it so this team is so much more easy to root for right now because there are so many good people in good places. And so just kind of having that as, as a fan to me, I appreciate that. I appreciate having people that I can root for that. I don't have to have like a guilt because they have an off field issue or because, you know, they're, they're standoffish with one of my coworkers or anything like that. Like it really feels like, there's just good people in this organization and, and that has to count for something. 
Yeah, right. I mean, I know, Ant, you had a tweet today about culture versus wins and urban specifically, which is why I mentioned it. But what did you say with that? Because I want to be refreshed. I think it's just as vital. I think, you know, installing a culture, especially in your first year, the way that you are going to go forward as a coach, it's vital that you, you know, you get your methods across, you get the team behind you. And you've seen this year, they may not be the most skilled team in this league, but they are pulling 150% for one another and they're playing better than the sum of their parts in points. I mean, we could have four or five wins pretty easily if one or two plays go in another direction and you you know, you mirror it to a situation like Urban Meyer. I mean, you saw so many guys saying Campbell's going to be fired before him, etc. Urban Meyer fractured that organisation from the outside right to its very heart. And that's what happens when you instill a bad culture into your side. You're not getting along with your players, your coaches. Yeah, you might be sneaking a win along, but you got a generational quarterback in the draft. He had a little bit of help there. But you look at Dan Campbell and which team would you rather have right now? you would rather have ours because the Jaguars are in complete and utter disarray. But Campbell, if in his first year, if all he does is get a successful culture installed, he's got the work ethic there, the attitude, that is a great, you know, springboard forward. You know, you can't win without it, I don't think. So no. that's the most vital thing we've seen this year. And, you know, you're just seeing players, as have already been mentioned, who are stepping up and playing. You know, we've seen the levels of player development you've not seen in years under Matt Patricia. Yeah, Evan Browns have come in and played really well. Charles Harris, who people thought was on his way out yeah. of the league, has come in and is performing magnificently. You know, it's all players, undrafted free agents, veterans are coming here and they're playing better. And they've shown with Jamie Collins, they will not accept these slack, lazy veterans anymore who aren't pulling their weight, which Patricia did. So the culture is as vital as wins for me. We might only have one in the win column, but we've got a much bigger win and that's the culture set. And that is what it's going to be like going forward. I mean, there's, I'm a, to buy it. there's a trope, isn't there, during draft time, which is when the Lions draft a guy, cue the flurry of tweets going, well, that's the end of his career. And yet, in the last couple of weeks, especially since the win in that celebration, which, you know, Herman said yesterday, I really hated it. And it's like, OK, fine. You know, we've only got one win. And that's you, you're allowed to hate that. But pretty much every national media commentator starts saying, well, guys are going to want to come and play here. And, you know, that's maybe a theory which lasts a few days. But if enough national media guys start saying it, maybe it is actually going to see into the national conscience that if you come to the Lions, maybe you don't get it in the win column. But if you want to get paid, if you want to get paid after you leave here, well, you're going to become a much better player if you come here. And if that starts happening, that seeps into the mind of these guys. This team's going to go from strength to strength because of that reputation. So... It's not in a good place. Exactly. And I you know you, we already spoke about this the other week, but the celebrations, I think they're perfectly legitimate in what they are. You know, it sort of legitimizes the regime. They've got the first win under the belt from a difficult situation. But I mean, a lot of people see what they want to see for years. The Fords were said, oh, they don't care about the team. They're not getting involved. And then one is in that locker room congratulating everybody, celebrating. And then it's like, oh my God, it's embarrassing. You know, people see what they want to see so that they can complain about it. And I personally loved seeing her in there. Yes, it's just one win, but that one win represented so much more than just a single victory. It was the, yeah. I think, the final legitimacy of this regime. You know, it gives it legitimacy. It is learning how to win now. 
as well as installing culture and developing players. And that is the next step, is getting a few more wins under the belt and getting the winning culture installed. Absolutely. I mean, it's not like it was a contrived sort of victory celebration where it was like the guys were like, okay, we haven't won one, but when we do, we're going to tip the Gatorade over his head. And it's like, oh God, when a championship win happens and the Gatorade comes out, I'm like, okay, but you're just doing it because it's a trope on every other win that's ever happened. You actually displeased. Like, I can't believe that Bill Belichick likes that. And I can't believe his players during that run actually thought, well, this is fun. Like, they just had to do it because that's what's expected of them. But the celebration was not legitimate is not the word I want. It was authentic. There was nothing inauthentic about what happened. And you know what? You may like it or not, but they believed it. And I believe that. So yeah, yeah. Tom, to me, it's, it's silly that that whole thing became the, the, a negative around the lines because I mean, not, not only was it the first win of this regime, it was a walk-off win, which walk-off wins just don't happen that often. Like Jared Goff said, I've, that's never happened to me. I've never had a walk-off win like that. And, and so to win on, on a walk, like you see walk-off field goals and that's, that's different, right? That's different than, than scoring a walk-off touchdown on a 75 yard drive with, with no timeouts and considering everything this team has gone through, you know, losing on 66 yard field goals, losing on 54 yard field goals, missing overtime kicks, like, yeah, there, there can be a little release of energy after that. I think that's okay. Yeah. I think we can be okay. I think we can understand from a human element what it probably felt for a lot of those players who had been working their butts off for, for months and months and months and hadn't shown it pay off, pay off in a moment. I mean, in that drive as well, a false start when they're trying to hurry up as well. I mean, that right. felt like the end to me. But, oh my right. God. Tom, you had loads of questions and maybe we can get one more in and then we'll, we'll start focusing on the game and we'll be here all night, which I would love, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, we should probably move on. Uh, very briefly, then you can bring one. You can bring one quarterback to Detroit, twenty twenty two season. Matthew Stafford, Justin Fields, oh, no. or CJ Stroud. You technically can't come in by then, but basically, mystery door, young quarterback, or who might possibly be your hero? Is, is this for one season? Well, we're starting from twenty twenty two with our okay. current roster. Right? Twenty twenty two and beyond, then and beyond. Ooh, I, I, oh man, I, I think I'm, I think I might go Justin Fields. It's either Justin Fields or Matthew Stafford. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready to crown any, any college guy yet. Justin Fields is, is really fun to watch. And you saw, you've seen a couple incredible throws he's made this year that really, I mean, I feel like if the lines were to somehow have their hands on him and, and this isn't me trying to, criticize them for taking Panesul or, or not taking, you know, that the Panthers trade in, in, in the, in the Matthew Stafford trade or anything like that. It just, he brings so much excitement to the game and you can see it with Chicago fans who have every reason to be miserable right now. Cause they're stuck with the head coach that, that hasn't turned around that offense yet, despite having some, some pretty good weapons over there. Um, they're, they're excited. They're still feeling pretty good about the future of this team. Once they kind of get rid of everyone in the front office, but, but yeah, and it's because of him. It's like solely because of him because he's, he's an electric player. He fits, he checks all the boxes of a modern quarterback, you know, a guy who can run, a guy who can throw on the run, a guy with a cannon arm. And, you know, he just kind of has to put it all together mentally. And I, I think he will, um, unfortunately for Lions fans, but yeah, I think, I think he would be the guy that I picked just in terms of longevity and in terms of excitement he would bring to the team. Uh, I love, I, I love Matthew Stafford more than I think just about any other Lions fan. So it's hard for me not to say 
him in this situation, but there is something about the bright, shiny new object that that would kind of fit with what the Lions are trying to do here as well. So he's my guy. Yeah. Fortunately for the Lions, perhaps Justin Fields might come into his own when the Bears are in the midst of a breakdown and then he's on a vet deal. So, you know, not That's all That's a bad. good point, yeah. Um, yeah. Last question from Ash, just because it's probably the last question we'll ask and then we'll move on to the Arizona game. Have you ever been to one of the London games uh, for the Lions? I think it was 2014 and 16. And if you haven't, or if you have, are you going to come over the next time the Lions play? Would have been last year, might be next year, COVID accepting. Yeah, I, I haven't. I, I actually, I've only been to Europe once and it was part of my birthright to Israel. So um, I, the, the answer to the second question is absolutely. I, I would absolutely take the opportunity to go, to go to London to cover the team. You know, I, I wasn't credentialed the last time the Lions went to, to London to play. So I would have just gone as a fan and I, I considered it, but um, I was also um, not in a great financial situation in Los Angeles. You know, it's kind of expensive out there. So I was in, in money saving mode at that point. So uh, yeah, I mean, I would definitely go at, at, at the first opportunity just to kind of see um, what what it's like over there because it, obviously there's there's a pretty big Lions fan contingent because they were one of the first teams over there and and played a, an exciting game or two over there. So yeah, absolutely, I would go if 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 for no other reason just to visit London because as I said, never even been there. So yeah, on my list. Less said about that Chiefs game, the better. However, um, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to uh, the news. Actually, because we haven't talked about that at all, and then the Arizona Cardinals game. So, there's been a lot of roster moves since we last spoke with you guys, uh, especially in the secondary. So, they've signed cornerback Savion Smith off of waivers, Shaka Brown and Chris Williamson to the practice squad. They've also signed safety Brady Breeze off waivers. Hawkinson's gone on IR after thumb surgery. He's done for the season. Jalen Elliott's on the COVID list, bringing it back up to nine, eight of which are secondary players. Center Evan Brown is off the list, so however, and assuming he doesn't get COVID again, we'll play this Sunday, hopefully. Uh, nickelback AJ Park is expected to play after returning from IR. Um, those are all the kind of roster implications so far, but I mean, there's still a couple of days, so <laughs> anything can happen, right? Um, I mean, we could build an entirely new secondary this and given the lack of experience we've had so far but also given the coaching staff is it a major cause of concern for this Sunday compared to what we've been used to I mean I I can't help but feeling it can't be a massive step down because of well just how big depleted we've been all season right and what do you think yeah I don't know it the secondary changes every single week at this moment in time but you know I'm glad to see AJ Parker back for one you know, he was doing really well before that injury, and it was such a shame that he went on to IR. But this is a good opportunity for some guys to get in there and stake their claim now. So, obviously, if he's back and playing, which is huge, you know, hopefully he's able to have a good end to the year. But, you know, this is just an opportunity for guys. Now, it's like with Brock Wright. He's now got a big opportunity. Now, TJ's had to really stamp himself as a tight end too and put himself in the plans for next year. If he can do that, one less hole for us to fill. We've we've filled a lot of depth holes this year. As long as we get, you know, these guys signed up to contracts, I think this year we've surpassed what we can really have expected from finding new guys here in terms of depth. So yeah, go out, fight for your place. You know, there's no Hopkins this week, which is a big one, but there's still a lot of dangerous receivers come in. So, you know, but We've seen a culture that it's next man stepping up and doing his job. Even McCullum last week, he had a shaky start, but he did all right. So, you know, I, I trust them to bring up guys who are going to work really hard, make some plays, and we'll see what they can do. 
Yeah, I mean, we've already talked about how Evan Brown is higher rated than Ragnow in pass blocking, which is frankly incredible. I mean, run blocking is a completely different animal, but, you know, for a guy who... I mean, when we first started this off, we were told in preseason that the backup to the offensive line was one of the worst in football, perhaps not worth having, and, you know, we're going to need to replace everyone. And then we've had two-fifths of a reserve line, or three-fifths of a reserve line, performing, I mean, top half of the NFL, which is exceptional. And Hank Fraley, he's got to be up there for... Well, yeah, right. (laughs) Needs a 10-year contract. (laughs) I mean, the Steelers are going to be back, aren't they? Sniffing around them again, just every single year, come to us, come to us. Because, I mean, that team needs it more than ever, too, so... Um, let's move on. Go elsewhere. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, just briefly, they'll come back to you, Ant, for this. The NFL insider Justina Anderson said on Wednesday that the Lions are targeting Thibodeau at one over one overall. I know what your thoughts are about one overall or wherever we pick, but what do you think on that? I mean, it was shot down fairly quickly by MCDC, but I will point out that he says. I haven't talked to Brad yet, which is not the same as it's not happening. And I note that any time. Dan is asked about roster moves. He just says, well, I don't know. And basically, you should speak to the other guy, as opposed to saying it's not happening. So I think that the media saying he shot it down is actually not quite the story here. I'd be shocked if they've made a decision yet. I don't think they have. I think they've spoken to someone who's gone, this person told me this, and they heard it from this person. You know, there's a very long way to go yet. And you think about this season in general, at the start of the season, oh, Spencer Rattler was the number one pick. Then it was Kevin Thibodeau's the number one pick. Now it's Aidan Hutchinson's the number one pick. It could change again in that time. You've got combines to come. You've got the senior bowl. You've got the bowl games. You've still got a lot of opportunities for players to insert themselves into that discussion there. And I think quite rightly, he's just said they've not had the discussions because I don't think they will have. I don't think any team, unless there's a generational quarterback sat there who's made their decision on the first pick in December. So, you know, I hope we still, you know, like you said, I still hope we win a few and we don't have to t- pick it. But I, I, I sorry, did you say, did you say pick it? No, 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 <laughs> no, no. I heard it. <laughs> no. Powell, not pick it. But no, um, <laughs> I don't expect them to have made a decision yet. Absolutely not. Someone's just said something. It's been taken as gospel. They, they're going to do their due diligence. Brad Holmes had a good draft last year. I expect him to overturn every nook and cranny looking at these players before making a decision. It's a long way away from here. Twitter yeah. has a very short memory and everyone's already thinking about the Ohio State game and all the little clips we're seeing of Hutchinson and obviously it looks incredible, but... Coming into the season, Thibodeau was the number one player. Four weeks ago, Thibodeau was going to be the number one pick. They're not going to be as reactionary as fans are. And therefore, they're going to be not only in no position to say where they're leaning right now, but also they're not going to be changing their board every time there's a new clip or a new six-second kind of tweet on what Hutchinson's done and his work ethic, etc. That's just not how this works. So not only is it a kind of ridiculous statement in the first, first point, but... You know, we're just not at that stage as much as Jeremy and I know you want to get into mock up season. And we're just not there yet. We're just not there. You're going to have to hold up. I mean, this this for me smacks of John Dorsey. The the king of the smoke screen, just getting to work early, trying to muddy the waters. No one's going to know what's happening. They're going to know everything's happening apart from the thing that's happening. So that's my theory. He's getting to work early. I mean, he's not the GM, so... Yeah. Conspiracy theory. I love it. Let's get those out. <laughs> um 
what did we have? We had a comment uh, from some one pride forty said Jeremy, do you see another win in this team? Let's just slip this in now. I, I think it's possible. Yeah, I mean, we we've seen them be competitive against most teams this year. Obviously, there's there's been a few blowouts here and there, but um, you know, I don't think the Atlanta Falcons are particularly a great team. I think they they could certainly take them on the road and. I don't know about Seattle. Seattle's a tough place to, to win um, just in general, but you know, they, they certainly aren't the team that they, they have been in the past or they're horrible defense still. So, you know, maybe that's a game in which the Lions can score more than 20 points and they tend to do okay in games in which they score more than 20 points. So um, yeah, I think those are the pretty much the only two games that, that are, that are winnable. I don't think they're, you know, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but I don't think they really <laughs> have a, a chance this, this week against Arizona. And then I think the Packers are probably still going to be playing for seeding in, in week 17 or week 18. Um, and so that seems like a, a tough hill to climb as well. So I, I, I think they pick up, I think they can pick up it one more win. I would be surprised if they go two and two. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know if I'm predicting them to go one and three, but I, I it certainly wouldn't surprise me. And you're getting a bit of love in the Twitch chat with people saying, love your accent. So just so you should know, um, Appreciate it. <laughs> move on to that Chris Fieldman piece on Pride of Detroit, um, from you, Jeremy, actually, and, yeah. uh, about what he was doing so more specifically so he he's meeting with ownership every tuesday giving his views on the game he's helping coach the linebackers not during practice but before and after giving them like extra reps or tips and hints and what have you he's helping out brad holmes at the college scouting and he's also selling tickets directly to the season ticket holders which i found insane like can you imagine being just like a common garden season ticket holder and there's oh hi it's chris but okay hi chris <laughs> what are you doing here like i can't imagine that i've gone on to the lines before i've gone onto linkedin to try and get an in into the organization to kind of have a contact in there and the number of people i can see who are just basically their main job is selling tickets and it's like yeah. okay they have a dedicated department to that and then chris is like hi guys i've come to help out like that's so <laughs> mad to me um what, what was your impression of the whole thing i know you said he's a completely selfless guy but is this what you imagined he was going to do when he came in I mean, I didn't have any idea, honestly. It was kind of an interest. You kind of assumed he was only kind of going to be involved in the football decisions in, in some point because, like, you know, Lions fans have been begging for someone to help them with the coaching search and help them with the GM search. A, a guy that wasn't Ernie Acorsi, obviously, someone who who knew football and cared about the Lions, and so they they got that guy in Chris Spielman, and he said in the interview that was the first thing he did. He was, he was in the he was a one of a four person panel between him, Sheila, Rodwood, and uh, Mike Disner. Um, in, in making the decisions for, for head coach and, and GM. And after that, he was just there and they're like, okay, well, we got to figure out a way to use you. And, and they're, they're basically using him in every single way possible. And, and yeah, I think that's definitely interesting that he's involved in the business side of things, but at the same time, like we've heard from ownership, like it's really important to them for everyone to be on the same page within the organization. And, and that really comes through in this interview. He talks about, you know, we put, we put in a fitness center at Ford field so that all the people that are working are there feel like they're part of the Lions family because they are part of the Lions. And so, again, it's kind of that weird, harmonious, like awesome relationship that that everyone who who has Lions in their resume, um, they, they're part of the team. They get to know everything that's going on. They get to be feel like, you know, Chris Spielman is their coworker, which is a weird thing to say if you're, you know, cleaning the bathrooms or, or you know, anything like Chris Spielman is, is going to be there, part of the organization, part of like making sure that everything is running clearly and, and, and every time I, I hear something like this, all I think about is Washington. I think about the Washington football team and how rotten to the core that place is and how people don't like working there and people feel uncomfortable. And, 
And I feel like the Lions are really making a concerted effort to be the opposite of Washington. No, no offense if there are any football teams and football team fans in here, but like it really feels like they are head to toe trying to just scrub this this organization clean. And and again, like that makes you proud to kind of be a fan of this team, whether the wins are coming or not, because it does feel like they're doing it the right way. It does feel like they they've got the right people in the right place. It's just a matter of getting the, the personnel on the field and getting the coaching staff where they need to be uh, to, to produce wins. But it just having everyone in the building and, and I hate to make the Ted Lasso comparisons because that's what I feel like everyone does these days. But it, it, it just that the positivity around everywhere, just it, it feels good to, to have it here. And whether it sticks, you know, if, if the wins don't come, obviously that's that's the real test for an organization that they've weathered the storm of year one pretty darn well, I would say. But, um, you know, when, when X, like it, Lions fans are still feeling pretty good. And when that, if, if that changes, if the, if the winds don't come next year toward the end of next year, or especially if they don't come in 2023, that's to me, like that is really going to test the foundation of this culture. But so far, like Chris, Chris Bielman seems to know what he's doing in building a business, building a team, uh, building a culture. And, and that, that really comes through to me in that interview. Yeah, I mean, I know Ted Lasso isn't as popular here, mainly because Apple TV is not that easy to get if you don't own an Apple product. I mean, you can't get yeah. it on a smart TV or on a PC or like, so you have to own a Mac or an Apple. Like, it's so frustrating, but I've watched it and it's amazing. I'm sure that he's based off Jurgen Klopp. I don't know if Tom and Ant might agree, but like, I, I don't know how many people actually know soccer, but I'm a fan of Liverpool. And the idea of this kind of, mustached guy coming in hugging everyone learns everyone's names makes the culture feel like it's all kind of one team pulling together down to the cooks and the cleaners and what have you it's like the lions were like well we want that guy and that's what they've got so i i couldn't be happy with that um and also with urban myers firing move on to that so daryl bevel second time interim head coach two years running and i mean i don't know whether you guys saw the little nine second snippet of him being asked the question of well you've got an opportunity of winning more games now than urban did and he just cracks a wry smile and then hides his face as he tries to stop laughing i mean it's it's shocking to me i mean what a what a situation he's been in so bevel i never really thought that highly of him as an offensive coordinator i didn't think it was that inventive but he always came across as a really nice guy and to go from Patricia who I think was probably a nice guy but seemed like a hard ass moving on to Urban who's clearly just a jack off like gotta feel bad for that guy now walking into a situation where he's the head coach of Trevor Lawrence like that's insane to me and I mean I really hope he does well not only for our draft pick but just because I like him I mean what a situation for him it's, I want to. I, I want to ask him which season was worse out the two of them, working for Patricia <laughs> or uh, working for Maya. Paul, he, he needs a holiday after this. Bless him after working with these two guys. Him and, yeah. and a bunch of guys in that room, like you know Kyle Kasky, the the former Lions running backs coach, is over there. Um, obviously, Marvin Jones and Jamal Agnew. Those are guys. I mean, they all made decisions, right? Like they, it was it was their own decision to go over there and and, and play for for Meyer, but. Um, that doesn't mean they deserve to be treated like apparently they were. I mean, poor Marvin Jones, man. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, let's actually move on to the game, because that's why we're here. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> so, Lions-Cardinals on Sunday in the betting, Lions 9-2, Cardinals 13-2 on, which I think is the worst odds I've seen all year. 
12 and a half point spread, 47 over under. So high, I think it's the highest scoring spread I've seen for some time for a Lion game. So I imagine they probably reckon with our secondary it's going to be 47-0, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out, though. Uh, on the injury report, uh, I have that open somewhere, if my links actually want me to reload. Um, so obviously we said that Hawkinson was out, also not a practice today. Will Holden, uh, non-injury related, Jonah Jackson, Julian Aquara, DeAndre Swift. I mean, Swift's potentially going to go on IR and be locked down for a season, but we'll find out. Uh, Alex Anzalone was back today, which is really great news. We've also got Michael Brockers, Jalen Reeves may have been limited in practice, and I think Jalen's still non-contact, so second straight day of that, not looking too good for Sunday, really, I don't think. Josh Reynolds also appears on the report with a thigh, which is not great considering he wasn't on there yesterday. Uh, but we've got uh, Derek Barnes, Austin Bryant, and Penny Sewell back. And Bryant, actually, I think is going to be the big one because we're lacking in the outside linebacker room right now. And he only played eight snaps last week after his sickness or was it an injury? I can't. I can't Shol- shoulder and illness, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's going to be really big. Uh, the Cardinals, they... I, don't their website is awful they're only showing the lions injuries on their website thanks for that came to you for your injury report um obviously hopkins out for the rest of the regular season which is not great they've also signed Brayon borders from the tennessee practice squad apparently as cover for um alford at cornerback and they're obviously missing jj Watt. he's on injury reserve for the season i'm not aware of any other major misses at the moment for the cardinals so they're fairly healthy actually really um let's see so the cardinals are 10 and 3 there they are perfect away from home 7 and 0 away from home 3 and 3 at home so not great that we're at four field for this one would have better chance in arizona uh pro football references are expected record is 9.2 wins compared to their actual 10 football outsider says 8.2 so potentially a lucky team walking into the situation per those metrics they are first in the NFC West. Their last three games, they beat Seattle at home 23-13, beat Chicago in Chicago 33-22, and then obviously Monday night football, short week for them. They lost to Matthew Stafford and the Rams 30-23. Per This is the really mad thing to me just off the top, and I think it highlights the difference in the metrics in terms of the expected wins. By DVOA, they are sixth in the NFL, 19.6%. But by PFF grades, they are... 18th in the NFL. So the disparity is massive. And I was actually discussing with Tom why I think that is. And I'll come on to that a little bit later. But what do you guys think about why there's such disparity there in in what people think of the Cardinals statistically? It's a tough question to answer. Yeah. I I, I don't know. Like I, to me, I, I, I value football outsiders a lot. I value something like, if you want to just be a very basic statistical consumer, I would say point differential is probably one of the, the biggest ways you can just tell if a team is good or not. And I think they're they're fifth in point differential or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that I found out looking, kind of doing my research for them this week is just, they just take care of business against bad teams. Like they, I think eight of their 10 wins have been by two possessions or more. They're, they're really one big slip up was against the Panthers where they got blown out oddly enough. And that was, I mean, I, th- I feel like every NFL team was allowed one really bad game this year. And that one, they didn't have Kyler Murray in that game. And I think that was Cam Newton's return game to, to Carolina. So, you know, you're, I think you're willing to maybe just push that one aside. 
And so to me, like, I think this is a pretty darn good offense. They're they're I think they're fourth in points scored and fourth in points allowed. Like they, they're, they're well-rounded and I'm, I'm not sure what P, and PFF is, is a tough, is a, is a tough site to kind of congest because sometimes it feels like they really confirm what you, you see and what you think. And then sometimes it's just like, what? <laughs> That's not what I see at all. And, and you don't want to like completely trash their methods. Cause I do think they have a bunch of smart people working over there and, and that, that, that do know more about football than a, a lot of people give them credit for. But at the same time, there's, there's no perfect like score metric for you. Can't, you can't just say like, well, that guy was a, I, I you know, he's a 78.4 in that game like that. You're, you're making up metrics at that point. And so I, 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 the thing, I, I guess I like PFF more for their, um, their statistics and their grades, I guess is, is the best way to put it. And um, so I, I don't know there. I, I guess I didn't even realize that they, they rank teams by overall grade, which I guess would make sense, but that that's what you're referencing. Their, their overall grade is 17. Yeah. Yeah. 18th. So their 18th. PFF grade overall is um, 78.8, which is, Okay. Seems fine. Yeah. But yeah. So when you go onto like the team overall screen, it ranks yeah. their overall. Yeah. So um, so here's my theory, and I kind of I, I will talk about the offense first, and I will do in a minute. But I don't think their offense has actually improved massively, and I think this is reflected in the stats, and this is why it's going to explain what's happening in this statistics. So they're scoring a lot, but they're the best situational team in football. So on third down. They're sixth on offense. On fourth down, they're fourth. In the red zone, they're third. It's an incredibly good offense when it comes to crunch time. First and second down, who cares? But third down, fourth down, red zone, excellent. On defense, third down, they're fourth. Fourth down, they're third. Red zone, they're 18. But, you know, apart from that, exceptional football team when it comes to the crunch. Very well drilled and, you know, belt and braces and they're going to go and do it. Um, The big difference there is that their defense hasn't been good and suddenly, statistically at least, is so, so much better than they were. So on offense, their DVOA is 16th overall, despite the fact that we think Kyler Murray potentially might be an outsider for MVP. I don't think he will be MVP. And actually, one of the questions I was going to ask you is who is your choice right now, but boring question. Um, on defense, the DVOA is 4th. You know, I don't think anyone would come out thinking that this is a really great side defensively. And I know that you spoke with um, the Believe in Lions former Ed NFL, Smith, yeah. Ed, yeah, Smith Ed Smith, yesterday. Yeah. And he was um, like, well, the secondary, apart from Buda Baker, is not great. And, you know, they've got a couple of guys on the D-line and a couple of linebackers who are being productive. But actually, the defense isn't what the team is known for. And yet, if you look at it statistically, the defense is balling out. So... I think that's the big difference. And defense is not stable. If you listen to what PFFs say about things, the offense is a thing which actually carries you forward. But situationally, they're great, and the defense has gotten better. And that's just the difference from last year. And that's why they've carried on this great streak. So as a big kind of broad brush thing, that's my theory. Any thoughts, and Tom? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's an odd one with the thing there. But I think I think the main thing is they play in an incredibly tough conference. So, you know, when, when you're playing against elite teams week in, week out, I know San Francisco maybe not have been the best recently, but you're still playing against some really top-notch players. So I think, you know... It, it just makes you know they're a really good side. I, you know, you know me. 
Uh, you you do PFF a bit more than me. I go via the eye test, and I've been a fan of Kyler Murray since day one and when he was drafted. And I see a quarterback who's just come on absolute leaps and bounds there, and he's got some good weapons with him. So, you know, they have gotten better this year. That defense does look better because the defense last year was trash. That's why they struggled, even with Murray doing well, but they just couldn't keep points out but it looks like this year you know they have changed that a little bit but as you say the secondary is weak you know a good quarterback like Matthew Stafford did expose it greatly the other night and you know there are weaknesses there but no I just think overall you know their schedule's not been the easiest like I say either so that that could explain why they're getting the wins there but because you're coming up against some higher teams PFF might be grading them a little well not unfairly but it's harder to get the good grades against some of these good teams because you're coming up against really good players. I think that might be why. Yeah, I'd be surprised to see them go really deep into the playoffs or win the NFC, for example. But um, I think, Jeremy, you touched on it too. They kind of take care of business. And the problem is when we move on to the Lions, I don't think there's that many guys we have that can really exploit anything on their team, to be honest. They're very well-rounded. and Not to, not to go too miserable as we come into this, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it's going to be less around the Cardinals being a, a fake of what they are and more around what can the Lions do to try and uh, to try and keep it close. Without going too deep into the stats, they're third in net yards per attempt in passing, fourth in points per game, and first in rushing touchdowns, which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, pretty high in, in turnovers and interceptions. I mean, Murray takes a lot of risks, so that's not surprising. Pretty high in sacks too. But, I mean, he's... Russell Wilson Mark II, right? Just the new improved version. He likes to escape the pocket, run, throw on the move. So you're going to get the Russell Wilson-esque problems, and that's fine. He, he does very well with that. Kyler Murray's 8-2 this season. He's missed three games. Uh, Colt McCoy came in and went 2-1, and one, which was actually really impressive. Um, passer rating 106, quarterback rating 61.5, PFF grade of 84.7, which I think leads the offense for the Cardinals. And otherwise, their weapons... Aplomb. So you've got James Conner, who has obviously been a revelation since coming there. I mean, exceptionally similar statistics to being at Pittsburgh, but I think when your quarterback is Kyler Murray, if you're that sort of bruising running back, you're going to have better success than if your quarterback is Ben Roethlisberger, and <laughs> you don't have to account for him in the running game. So I think naturally he's going to have more success. He has taken the starter reins from Chase Edmonds, who's been on IR. Uh, Chase started every game. He was active for, and Connor then came in, which I find weird because Connor's the bruiser, Edmonds is the. So I would have started Connor. I mean, there's a very similar running back room to the Lions. So you've sure. got Swift and you've got Williams. You know that it kind of that is what teams like to do in the running back room. Edmonds not so highly ranked by PFF compared to Connor. Um, not as productive, frankly, in in the in the system, and yet has a higher yards per attempt, which is odd. But there we go. But coming to wide receivers, obviously we talked about the fact that Andre Hopkins is not there for the rest of the season, but he actually hasn't been there for much of the season compared to their leaders in receiving yards. Tom, and do you know who their leader is? If you've seen a lot of them, you probably do know, but it's not necessarily the expected person, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, you've got Kirk, you've got AJ Green there. Um... Yeah, is it Kirk? He started hot, didn't he? He started really hot in the um, first few weeks. And he was really hot on Monday, too. A couple of really nice, deep catches. AJ Green is second. They're leaving out Rondale Moore, who hasn't really done much yet, and he's still going to absolutely set the world on fire when he does. And then they've got Andy Isabella, still to come, who I'm sure the Lions will 
find out in this game that he is actually still worth something because I just kind of fancy him to kind of make the team based on Hopkins not being there and then he'll just pop up and, and burn us for one. Uh, and then Zach Ertz as well, acquired by a trade, seven games, big red zone threat, looks somewhat revitalized from coming out of Philadelphia. I know that he was distraught from leaving, crying during his press conference, and yet comes in here, model professional, and in fact probably is is better than he was earlier on in the year. So, I mean, who do you double in this team? I mean, none of those receivers by themselves are actually world beaters outside of Hopkins. So, I mean, pick your poison, right? And I think it's the it's the underneath stuff that really worries me. In fact, we, we talked earlier around the secondary and the injuries, the fact we're probably going to have new names taking taking reps out there for the first time. But it's the front seven, which which is my concern. It's, can we keep Murray in the pocket? We're obviously beat up on the edge. Can we can we keep contain? If he gets outside, we're in trouble. It's the underneath stuff. It's can we can we track Christian Kirk with kind of dig routes and things like that. Rondé Moore, those kind of guys. I'm less worried about the outside, to be honest. Um, I think we're going to get beat up inside. And if we don't get any pressure up the middle, which we've struggled, let's be honest, over the last few weeks, Levi hasn't necessarily come on as much as people would have wanted. So unless we get in in Kyler's face, I just think that's where that's where it could be a long, long Sunday. But the problem we've had, and we've had it all year, and we've mentioned it time after time, is because the secondary is so young, and in this case, really, really inexperienced, Aaron Glenn is protecting them. You know, he's keeping his safeties high. The linebackers aren't blitzing so much. You've, you've got to protect your young guys out there. And with all these speedsters knocking around, I don't think that's really going to change. And it doesn't help your defensive line when it's getting no support whatsoever to get to the quarterback. And that that's where the problem is. And that's what needs solving in the offseason. We need to have a secondary that we can trust and get on with the business while we go and chase the quarterback down. So, you know, it. I can see, you know, the issue is going to be there even more this week with the starters out. So it's going to be a big problem for sure. Yeah. I think you guys nailed it. I don't know if there's anything I can add. I mean, I just think, I I think Tom's point about the edge rushers being really thin is, is, is really where I was thinking about this matchup a lot too, because I know I I just go back to that Minnesota game a couple of weeks back and I know they won that game, but I feel like the, the play action that they ran, like the, the designed rollouts, there was just no one, staying disciplined on the edges and those plays and, and Kirk Cousins just had all the time in the world to, to really pick apart that Lions defense um, all, for all four quarters. Like they, they really had no business winning that game with, with how well Cousins was playing against this Lions defense. And I just feel like Kyler can do a lot of the similar things and, and more obviously like he's more mobile quarterback than Kirk Cousins is surely. And he's got just as good of a, a, a wide receiving core and, and throwing Zach Ertz into that as well. So I, I am concerned about the edges in this game. I, I, I can't tell you anything positive about Jesse Lemonnier, not to, not to pile on him. I mean, he, he's, I'm sure he's trying his hardest out there, but he's, he's not an NFL level talent in terms of a guy that you really want to be out there on a, on a 40, 50 snap basis. So it's, it's a tough look for him out there, but, uh, but you know, maybe Austin Bryant being more involved if, if, if he's healthy enough to, to play, maybe that helps a little bit. It uh, doesn't look like you're going to get Julian back this week, unfortunately. So um, there, there are going to be some, some, you know, reinforcements that the, they're going to have to play in that position. And hopefully Austin Bryant, you know, plays 95% of the snaps and, and gets five sacks or something crazy like that, because he seems to really be the only guy playing pretty well at that position right now. I mean, the thing yeah, for me Harris is the... doing well. <laughs> yeah. Did I, say, Harris... I, I, I meant to say Charles Harris. I think I said Austin Bryant. I meant Charles Harris. I mean, the thing <laughs> for me that I've returned to over years and I'm kind of not one who, 
kind of says what happened last time and the time before, so it might happen again, because just don't believe in that. The team that is here right now is the one that's playing. Having said that, in the last three years or so, the Lions have actually had more success against running quarterbacks with an arm rather than pocket passers who can sit in there and pick up a defense like a certain Bears quarterback that had no talent until yet seemed to beat the Lions every time. Like, we always seem to lose to Trubisky. And yet, when it came to playing Mahomes, it took a terrific fourth down play to the tight ends who went then handed it off when all looked one for the Lions. You know, like, that's what it took to beat us with that. And actually, you highlighted in your pod during yesterday that, or maybe not you, but your, your guest did, that the way to stop Kyler Murray is to, especially in a 3-4 system, have your outside linebackers play contained and your inside guys to get pressure. So hopefully the inside guys can get pressure. But maybe we're not asking Harris and Bryant to beat their man. I mean, maybe just yeah. hold the man there and be prepared to disengage to make a tackle and be prepared when he takes off. And if we're not asking him to beat the man, maybe we can trust him to do that. Especially Austin Bryant, who sometimes has tr- trouble penetrating, but is big and powerful and can disengage very well. So I feel like that might be okay, and then we're just saying to him, well, beat us with your arm then, which you very much can do. <laughs> but he is a smaller guy and sometimes does struggle from the pocket a little bit, and you're just trusting to luck a little bit. But that seems better than letting him run for 15 yards every time. So I'm not sold on this being a total mismatch. It's just there's a 5% chance as opposed to a 5% chance. But hey, um, let's move on to defense now. As I mentioned, they're fourth in DVOA in the NFL this year so far, conceding only 19.5 points per game. In passing, their defense is fifth in yards conceded, fourth in net yards per attempt, so Goff is going to be perfect. Um, Rushing, they are third in touchdowns allowed, so, you know, all great. Third down, they're fourth. They're only conceding third downs at a rate of 34.6% and fourth downs at a rate of 40%. In the red zone, not so great. 24 touchdowns and 40 trips as 18. The lineup is full of star-studded people. So Byron Murphy, four interceptions on the year, 11 passes defended, 48 tackles. Buda Baker, three interceptions, four passes defended, 74 tackles. Isaiah Simmons, who I know was a draft crush of a lot of Lions fans a couple of years ago, has actually started coming to his own. He's got 82 tackles from the linebacker position, five passes defended, which I think is roughly where Anzalone's actually been, but he's actually started to play really well in the running game. Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones have been fantastic as a tandem. They've got 19 and a half sacks between them, with Marcus Golden actually having more. And I know quite a lot of Lions fans in the offseason were hoping we acquire Marcus Golden, and he really has hit the ground running there. So four forced fumbles for him as well. Uh, Chandler Jones, 22 quarterback hits. You know, this team has stars. If you talk about theory and you know the idea that maybe you only need six or seven real star guys and you can fill it with depth otherwise well they have those guys on this defense so you know what their secondary may not be all that but they've got the players around you to make a play whenever and it's going to be a real struggle for Goff to get something going the saving grace we might have is the strength of that offensive line our tackles have been fantastic since they've come back on Jeremy's pod, they highlighted interior pressure being a problem. Tom, do you think that that's going to be something Evan Brown coming back and he's been excellent in pass blocking, um, but potentially slightly injured? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, I think you said at the top that actually, whether it's their pass defense or rush defense, they're right at the top in both. Now, 
Um, when you look at how they're made up, Golden and Jones coming off the edge, obviously strength in the secondary, coverage strength in Simmons at the second level. I don't think we can stand back and, and pass 60 times again the game and win. So we're going to have to establish the run, right? And I think if we can control on that inside, obviously, are, are we going to have Jonah Jackson? It doesn't look great. Um, so that's a concern. But if we can kind of build a presence on the interior, start to run the ball, and ultimately we are going to have to score points. There is, I really struggle to see a world where we're holding the Cardinals to, to 14 points or 16 points or 19 <laughs> points, to be honest, right? So um, I think we've got to establish the run up the middle. We bring teams down to our level. And what do you think? Hey, we're good at that. And we always beat the spread. Always beat the spread. <laughs> well, see, you just, you know, you play to your strengths. And, you know, the strength we found recently, you know, putting your extra tackle on, putting your extra tight end in, running the ball. And we do it really well. And, you know, that is just something we need to implement really early in this game. You know, we've got, hopefully the running backs are coming back. Obviously, Jamar's going to be healthy. So hopefully he gets more of a look in. Reynolds has done really well. We've got the running back depth there. Just, you know, yeah, use the extra tackles, use the extra Titans and just run it on them. I back our tackles to go against their edges. Penai's doing, you know, as well as any tackle in the league at the minute. Decker's slowly getting back up to full fitness and back out to where he usually is. I back them to do it. Vitae's playing well in the run game, creating some huge holes in there. You know, I, I back them to have a good game against them, but you've got to you've got to establish the run early and just, you know, do what we've been successful at. I mean, Tommy yeah. Kramer wasn't a complete liability either when he came in earlier in the season, I guess. To be honest, you've got Stenberg in there as well, and I don't know no. why he doesn't play, but he Stenberg, Stenberg plays well in the run game. He's done it earlier this year. He can play in the run game. I know his pass protection ain't great, but, you I know, I do he, back I him. I think he's on IR. Oh, I th- yeah. I'm yeah. Sure. Oh, is he? Is he out? Yeah. Oh, balls. <laughs> Everyone's on IR. Right. It's hard uh, to keep track. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 56 million on IR now, whatever it is. So, you know, you can't be expected to know them all. Um, right. but yeah. Yeah. So what do you actually think, Jeremy? Can we run the ball on this team? I mean, they will expect that, right? They they should stack right. the box. You, you'd think that's that's the strategy. and, and But, the, I mean, a lot, that has kind of been the strategy against the Lions for a while now, and, and, and it hasn't necessarily worked. Um, the, the Lions are still averaging, what, four, six a carry this year, and I think that's about the number that the, the Cardinals are exceeding this year. It might might be even higher. It's like four, seven, four, eight, um, which, you know, I know the DVO, DVOA numbers don't exactly match that, but um, I, I do think the opportunity is there, and I, I, I'm, I'm with you all. I, I feel like this is the route that the Lions are, are just going to have to go. The question is, how long are they going to be in the game, right? Because this is this is what they want to do every week. They want to run the ball and 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 stretch out possessions and and keep Kyler Murray off the field. Like all of that sounds great in theory, but if Jamar Jefferson fumbles the ball or Jared Goff throws an interception, gets sacked, like suddenly the game plan is thrown off and suddenly Kyler Murray goes up two possessions and and you have to figure out a way to throw the ball too. And with with no Swift, with no Hawkinson. And, you know, the, the passing game is showing signs of life, at least, you know, Amon Ra's obviously come on recently and, and um, Josh Reynolds seems to have, you know, given, given some sort of spurt to the offense that, that, that they were missing downfield. They, they got chances there in, in the passing game, but, but I do agree with you guys that it just, it has to be the run game. It, it feels like the only way towards a, a victory unless, Unless and, and we brought this up on our podcast, unless the lines are, are planning on pulling out a, a full bag of tricks again this week, um, which which I mean, they might they might because we know Dan Campbell just doesn't go quietly into the night. We know 
he's looking at this team. He knows this is a 10 and three Cardinals team that that's very talented on both sides of the ball. So maybe he's like, all right, we got to do it again. Let's, let's pull out some special teams craziness. Let's pull out a couple fake punts, uh, maybe a flea flicker or two. And, and we'll, we'll see. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that this week because I just, it doesn't look like there's a lot of great matchups in this lineup. And, and even though I think they, they might be a little vulnerable on the run game, like you said, Matthew, I think, I think, I think the Cardinals know that that's what the Lions are going to try to do. And so they're going to try to take it away. I mean, I think- so I, I think that that should be counted then. So if that's what they might do, I mean, the thing that was highlighted by Ed yesterday was yeah. that in the one game they really struggled, the offense came out essentially throwing a load of screens yeah, and Packers doing loads of quick passes effectively as an extension of the running game. Maybe some uh, kind of um, running back screens to out of the backfield as opposed to wide receiver screens. And I'm looking at this thinking, well, Anthony Lynn should be calling this game. Like, <laughs> this perfect. We can do yeah, that. We've, we've shown we can do that all year and it hasn't worked. But if that's where they're weak, then why not do it? Sorry, Ant, I interrupted you. No, I was just about to say, you know, if we can somehow find a way to stay in this game for a little while, you have to think they've had a day less. Well, they've had a day less to prepare for this. You know, they played after we did. But the thing is, after losing that Rams game, now they're only one game behind them. There's going to be a lot of pressure on them. And if we can somehow find a way to hang in this game, then I think that could entirely work in our favor because, you know, they are trying to protect the lead in that division and they're trying to still get the number one seed in the NFC. So, you know, there are opportunities. If you find a way to stay in this game, maybe, you know, that nervousness could be a factor there on them. They're missing the top guy on offense there. You know, it's up to, a you know, guys who aren't as experienced to to get across the line. And no one expects anything of us. You saw it with the Vikings a few weeks back. The expectation was all on them to win, and they kind of cracked in there. They just couldn't put us away. They gave us too much time to go back down, and they didn't take us seriously. So maybe you can see a situation where that happens again. Maybe. And yet I come back to the situation of football, and when it actually comes to the crunch, yeah. they have they have stepped up to the plate. So that. That's what I fear. I'm going to move on to special teams and then talk about ways to win, which is actually what we're talking about right now. So on special teams, it's a a good, solid unit. We're very aware of their kicker, Matt Prater. 20 of 25 so far this season in field goals, 42 of 43 on extra points, and 77.6% touchback percentage on kickoffs. So don't expect too many returns from the Lions on Sunday. Punters Andy Lee, super solid punter for a long time now. 42 punts this year, an average of 49.9 yards per punt um okay ways to win so we've kind of been dancing around this the whole time we've talked about pounding the rock which you guys think i want to see play action early which actually they've kind of done quite a lot but if they're expecting the run well don't give them what they're expecting then even if it's just a short dump off from a play action but keep them away from golf um but for me i think one of the things we have to do is just to win the battle up front so whether it's the run or the pass the offensive line is absolutely key and without that we have no chance. Um, I, I don't know about the interior of the Cardinals' defensive line. I don't know about you guys. We've talked about their edges. Are they strong in the interior of their defensive line? Because, I mean, that's why we were talking about where we might lose the game, is if they get some push up front. But who are they guys up there? I actually honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> but if that's how they're going to win, well, who are they? Can they actually win that way? It's 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 a it's an okay group I would say like it, it's Jordan Phillips a, a former second round pick a veteran he's playing pretty well this this year as, as kind of their main interior guy and then next to him uh, I, I'm trying to I'm 
Corey Peters. That's right. Okay. So also kind of a, an old veteran guy they, mm. they're not, they're not as young and spry, I guess, uh, on, in the interiors, they, they are on the edges with, with guys like Chandler Jones and, and Marcus Golden. But, um, I, I would say they're just kind of an average unit. I, and, and honestly, like, I think the linebacking core is obviously always important when it both comes to protection and the run game. Um, so, uh, you know, Isaiah Simmons, a guy that we've already talked about a bunch is, is kind of a dynamic player, even if his PFF grade isn't necessarily up there um, because I don't know, PFF and linebackers, whatever reason doesn't, doesn't seem to really ever match perception. Um, but Apart, well, but yeah. including Zayvon Collins, who's been benched and yet is our highest ranked linebacker. <laughs> there you go. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't seem to make sense to me specifically at the linebacker level, but um, you know, it, I, I think it's, it's potentially something the lines could take advantage of, but again, like, we're talking Tommy Kramer, we're talking Evan Brown coming back after missing a week. Like it's not the Lions' strength either. It's, it's really strength for strength on the edges and then just kind of like mediocre versus mediocre in the middle. And, and, you know, it, it it's kind of, I feel like it can really go in either direction, which is obviously probably a positive for the Lions because I, I do think those edges tend to be a, a rough matchup for a lot of teams. Um, but I think the Lions are, are maybe one of the, the few that can neutralize it with the way those, those tackles are playing right now. Okay, so how about prayer? Um, that's always an option, but this this Cardinals passing attack is is fearsome, and the secondary we have. I mean, who is actually going to start? So at safety, we're going to have um, Will Harris moving back from the slot. Yeah. Thank God. I mean, yep. get get him out of there. And <laughs> Dean Marlowe, I presume, is going to be the other safety. Um, at cornerback, we have. Um, why have I forgotten his name with all the, all the interceptions? Oh, there we go. So I have I have dogged on Amani all season. And I, I think I'm going to continue to do so because for all his interceptions, which four of them were thrown straight to him, one of them, the most recent one, was fantastic. But yep. he seems to be in the right place, and that's great. But I don't know. He hasn't done much to do with them. But he seems to get burned, as Tom was talking about, over the middle. When he's asked to go sideline to sideline, that is not something he can do and on the opposite side at corner any ideas is it going to be iffy i mean is he healthier he's still on the covid list at this point so he's still on covid ah yeah no so but i mean he could be i mean you just you never know like he could come off we don't really know like i i I think parnell i've trying to remember these guys names at this point i think i think is it parnell mooney mooney motley 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 Motley. there it is yeah. I feel like he's I, – I heard one coach mentioned his name this week, and so I'm like, okay, I guess maybe he's CB2. Like, I like I don't know who it is. Like, there, there's just no options there after after Jacob sadly went down this week. So, I, I mean, it's it's going to be a guy that we don't really know much about, if I'm being completely honest. Not even Roby Coleman. And, I mean, I don't oh, – we don't want him. But <laughs> – Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Mark Gilbert came in and looked really good, and he's gone. And Bobby Price came in and didn't look good, but he's also gone. I was like, oh, my God. So yeah. that is going to be a real struggle against that passing attack. I mean, I said, let's contain Kyler Murray and put him on his arm, and that sounds like a terrible idea. Let's let him run. So I don't know what to do. Um, but containing Kyler Murray's legs, I've mentioned situational football. So it's situational football. They are top six in every category, apart from red zone defense. So... How do we, in those crucial moments, be disciplined enough to do it? I mean, the Lions have been disciplined in the last three or so games. They've really worked on not committing too many penalties, which was a real struggle earlier on this season. But when it comes to actually performing on those third and fourth downs, uh, 
how do we do this? I mean, it's it's one of those things where I feel like it's a, a sugsfang. Um, any in chess, so any move you make is a bad one. Where you are is where you want to be, but you must do something. So, what do we do, guys, against this passing attack? And I swear I'm being crazy negative today, but <laughs> I mean, situational football has not been a strength of the Lions this season, <laughs> to be honest, right? In fact, the only real negative question marks this year on the coaching staff has been situational moments and 100%. players going out there and actually making a play. It just hasn't happened. And we, we talked earlier around the energy and enthusiasm when we did get that win, because actually we played, we had a 75-yard drive. We had a, a situation where we went and delivered. And that was a huge surprise for everyone watching. So <laughs> I think we've got to be careful not to kid ourselves that we can really rely on guys stepping up in the situation. I would love to see it. But. but then you have the fact that Dan Campbell is the coach with the best fourth down decision rate for increasing your win percentage or some crazy stat I saw recently. I mean, I think it's just a function of him going for it all the time. But And, and, and teams don't do it enough. But it does seem like teams should be a lot more aggressive than they are. And we're perhaps just a bit closer to the line that you should be, even if it's almost reckless at this point. But he went conservative for a while and has come back out the other side. And yet in that Rams game, when we did go over aggressive, it worked. So it's not like it doesn't work all the time, but maybe it's more about picking and choosing. Because it seems like when he goes into a shell, he really goes into a shell and doesn't go for it at all. And when he's going for it, he can't stop himself. And where's the happy medium? I want Dan to kind of drink like... It's like Goldilocks, right? He seems to have too much caffeine or not enough caffeine, but maybe the right amount of caffeine could be really good. But that's what this season's about. It's about him figuring out his style as a coach, when to go for it and when not to go for it. So, you know, you've seen in recent weeks, it's been getting better. So it's, it's all part of the process, really. This is this is just him figuring out style and the situational awareness for him because he says he's got a guy who sits there, writes down all the notes for him. He goes over them all again, sees what he'd do differently. He's obviously trying very hard with it. But, you know, in terms of this Cardinals thing, you've, you saw against the Rams, the way they move the ball, you know, Connor's integral to that. But how they've always done it is they run the ball a lot on you, put themselves in good situations, and then just air it out to these receivers they've got. You've, you've got to try and somehow collapse their run ability you know, and put them in some longer situations to put pressure on them. That's where you've got to do. And, you know, we say we can't do it off the edges, but if you can't do it off the edges, then look to your interior defensive line. You know, use your guys in there. Try and make some headway through there. And, I mean, the first thing you do there is you play Aline McNeil every goddamn snap because I'm sick and tired of seeing Nick Williams and Michael Brockers be levered out all over the place. They're no good in there whatsoever. Aleem is really good in there. He's, he's a great run blocker. Put him in, play him. You can get after quarterbacks. You've just got to go really aggressive in your interior instead. I think that's got to be the thing. Something has to change there because they will just get bullied again on Sunday, those two, if you use them straight off. But you've got to somehow nip that run game and stop Connor or Edmonds if he's back, putting them in favourable situations all the time. That's just how they run it on you. Yeah, and they, they obviously have a, a lot of room to improve after last week um, where they just they were just getting toyed with up the middle in that game, and that was that was frustrating to see. And, and you know, part of that, I think, had to do with everything that they went through that week. You know, Levi and, and, and Aleem didn't practice at all because of the flu, and, you know, the lines were, were shorthanded at linebacker. They, they might get some of those guys back this week. You know, they might get Anzalone back. They might get Jalen Rees-Maven back, um, depending on, on how far they progress in practice week. And I think that, you know, those aren't, top tier players, but 
they're they're better than than the guys that they were in there. They're better than Josh Woods. They're better than you know even even Derek Barnes at, at his level right now. I, I think Jalen Reeves, Maven, and and Alex Anzalone are, are probably better than than where he's playing right now. So I think that that can definitely help with getting the lines into better down and distances by stopping the run games on those early downs. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to see him being used a bit more. I mean, so if he's being a bit of a liability in coverage, well, let's use him off the edge then, because we actually don't have many, many edge players there, and that is actually one thing he can do is get after the quarterback. So let's use him as a kind of Devon Canard-style blitzer from the linebacker position. I mean, and you yeah. watched a lot of his tape, and you identified Ooh, a few things. Derek Barnes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, tell us a bit more about his ability to get after the passer. Well, see, Barnes's ability is to find the gaps in the line when they're created. But to be able to do that, you have to create gaps in the line. You have to put the big, heavy, beefy guys in there who are going to create the rushing lanes for him to get after the quarterback. So, you know, it's it's a bit of a two-way thing here. But, you know, I, I do want to see him blitz more. We've been saying for ages, you know, we want to bring the safeties up and blitz more. They're just, there has to be some times where, and I know Aaron Glenn's been conservative because he's protecting the young guys in the back. And I get it. And it's working, but it just has to be sometimes when he just has to trust them a bit more and just go for it. Barnes's style is getting into the backfield. He does it so effortlessly at times because he will find the gaps. So use your strengths. I think that's the thing, especially with a guy like Kyler Murray. He can hunt down quarterbacks quick. And Murray, if anything, like we've said, he's mobile. You're going to need guys who can get after him with speed to make him uncomfortable. And this could be the perfect thing for Barnes if you utilize him correctly. We've seen him getting in the backfield for tackles for loss recently. You've seen that style of his game start to come out, and that's where he is at his best. So, you know, really trying that interior to create the gaps for him to go and exploit. I did ask for some final questions as we're kind of coming towards a close, and one probability really wants to know the answer to a question that I know is going to just piss Jeremy off but I, I'm going to ask it anyway because it's the last one that I've been asked and it's what do you think of all the fire MCDC stuff I, which I don't want to ask it but I'm going to I mean it, it, it's fine it, I, I realize it's, it's part of what makes fandom fandom is 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 when the team's not winning you you want something to change like a like a like a coaching staff and listen I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you dan campbell's been perfect in year one he hasn't we, we mentioned the situational stuff i do feel like he's been a little bit impulsive at times whether it's being overly aggressive or overly conservative like you said it, it's been inconsistent and i think part of that is just kind of an impulsivity part of it is him trying to figure out i, I agree with Ant on that um but i do feel like sometimes he just gets like a little too giddy like Oh, we didn't make like, like one one example that I know the guys at the athletic point out a bunch, and I think it's a good example. It was it was in that Rams game where they they faced a third and one and they ran the ball, they didn't get it. And so Dan Campbell rushed them all back on the field, run the exact same play, and it gets stuffed again. Like that feels like a little bit of an impulsivity where it's just like, let's let's think this one through. Let's let's make sure we get the good call. And and the fact that in some of these high pressure situations, the lines haven't been very good. Yeah, I think that's a reason to maybe be a little bit concerned. Like, that's how games are won in the NFL. Like, once you are a good enough team to compete every single week and and you need those wins, you need those high-pressure moments, that's where your coaching staff really shines. And it, it hasn't been a strength of this coaching staff in year one. Now, they, they've got a lot on their hands right now. They, they're doing a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Dan Campbell's taking over play call duties and all, the, all this sort of stuff. So I think you're – 
you, you give them a year one pass on that. At least I'm willing to give them a year one pass on that. But then you look at everything else they're doing. We, we talked about the culture. We talked about the young guys who, who wouldn't even be playing on other rosters improving. We talked about these replacement level guys like Evan Brown, like, like Jerry Jacobs, like every running back that's, that's playing right now and, and seeing that they're, they're playing hard. They're, they're, they're making a case for themselves. They, they really care that they're out there. Part of that is the coaching staff getting those right kind of guys in the place, but obviously the coaching staff being able to motivate these guys and, and, and give them the opportunities and coach them up and to have them playing above their level speaks to everything that Dan Campbell is doing. And I know he's not the ones that are necessarily, that's necessarily teaching technique, but he's the one that, that starts it all. He's the one that hired the guys around him. He's the one that had the vision of what he wanted this culture to look like, what this coaching staff to look like. And that's kind of integral to, to what's happening right now. And I, I, I do think they're the positives right now outweigh the negatives and what I've seen from this organization and to just rip that all apart after year one, because you don't like the fact that he called a, a run or a pass on fourth and one seems ridiculous to me. Like allow the guy to learn a little bit, allow him to get players that, that, that can make it so that he doesn't have to go for it six times on fourth down in a, in a single game, just to keep it close. Um, allow, allow, allow just his vision to come together. Like, the only reason you would ever tear a team apart after one year under a new head coach is if he does something like Urban Meyer, if he's kicking his players, like <laughs> if, if, if he's, if he's not kicking, like, I know that's a low bar to set, but like, if you're not kicking your players, let's, let's at least see what we'll see how this plays out. Yeah. Is that too simple? <laughs> I'd say that's don't. a good rule to like anywhere in life. Just don't <laughs> kick people and you deserve to stay. Yeah. Or don't, don't hire people and then tell them they're worse coaches than a bowling green. <laughs> which is just right. insane. Like, I, I really think that Urban Meyer must, like, lack some sort of self-respect because he is ultimately responsible for that and is is the classic sort of workman blaming his tools thing. Like, come on, man. You are the guy at the top of the organization. You hired everyone, so it's on you. Like, Dan Campbell goes so far the other way that it's almost funny that everything is his fault. Nothing else is anyone else's fault apart from Anthony Lynn kind of by inference but you know never mind about that actually there was one question that someone asked that i thought was really interesting from ages ago so you talked about ben johnson the tight ends coach is he right now the front runner for offensive coordinator next year i think he is yeah i do um it was interesting this week i was just like because usually when you go out to practice you, you're you're really just doing one thing you're taking attendance you're seeing who's there and who's not there and obviously this time of year it's important because a guy, no from, one knows. you know, we, we lost <laughs> a guy from COVID. I feel like every day for the past, you know, two weeks. Um, but for, you know, five minutes, I just sat and I watched what Ben Johnson was doing. And like, he is in there. He is like, he, he's talking to the quarterbacks a heck of a lot when they're, when they're just running drills with wide receivers and tight ends. Like Mark Brunel is, is 10, 15 yards away. He is right there with the quarterbacks. And I don't, I don't even know where Anthony Lynn was at the time. So like, Absolutely. I think he's, he's the guy that, that it, it almost feels like he's the offensive coordinator right now with the way at least practice is being run. And, and obviously with the way everyone in that, in that locker room is, is talking him up, whether it's the coaches or, you know, I thought Jared Goff said something to 97 one this week where he's just like, yeah, that guy's going to be an offensive coordinator hundred percent. Um, so yeah, I, I would say he's the front runner. I know that might not have a lot of people excited. Everyone likes, you know, outside hires and, and a, a fresh new name, but um, I'm, I'm interested to see what he can do because it certainly seems like he's, he's made a difference in these past couple weeks. It's not like 
the Lions are scoring 30 points a game now, but there, there's a noticeable change where it, it finally seems like some of the things are clicking that, that we've been waiting for them to click. Hmm. You boys got any final questions? No, we had a long list. So maybe you want to pick one more, perhaps? Can do. I feel like we've been uh, we've been going a while. Yeah, I guess, I'm going to close it up in a minute. Let's go really quickly. How would you grade Brad Holmes' first 12 months on the job? Because I think we talk a lot about Dan Campbell. Yeah. And I don't think Brad's necessarily been perfect. So he's been here 12 months. What grade would you give? Yeah, maybe like a, a C plus B minus. It's, you know, it, it's really tough because a, a general manager is really going to make his money with the draft. And we're, we're still, you know, trying to figure out how this draft class looks. Obviously, obviously Panay looks really good. Obviously, uh, Amon Ra is playing pretty well. We're still kind of waiting to see on, on Aleem and Levi and Ifatu. Um, you know, the the whole not taking a quarterback in the draft thing is something that's going to be up for debate for, for for years to come. And I'm I'm kind of somewhere in the middle on that debate. But the Lions got a pretty good guy where with with that sixth pick or seventh pick or whatever it was in Panay. So that in terms of the draft, I think promising start so far. But we'll we'll see. In terms of free agency, I don't think he did a particularly great job. Um, if, if we're being completely honest, obviously the wide receiver stuff was was kind of a mess this year, and um, but you know they they managed to find some some undrafted guys. They they managed to find some guys in the middle of the season that have helped out. So you know I, I think again there's maybe a little bit more good than bad. But it, it, with the general manager, I feel like this is something that you really can't properly evaluate until we're a couple of years down and, and especially when you're talking about an off season that was you have no cap room you, you don't have a lot of draft capital you, you're you're purging guys because you just have to with their contracts so it was kind of a uniquely tough situation for brad holmes to be put in and so i'm really interested to see what he does with this upcoming draft and upcoming free agency yeah and i think that the kind of brashad perriman trinity benson those kind of things which are easy to take shots at, they're not really decisions that are going to make or break the Lions in 2023 and 2024. What is right. is bringing in young talent. And yep. I think he's been, we're looking more promising there than like say free agents and, and things where where we get to this off season, the next off season, a bit more money to spend, where actually you really have to put your hand in your pocket. That's where we've got to deliver. So that's the bit I'm intrigued by. All right. Um, Jeremy, is there anything that you want to say at the end of all of this anything that you've got coming up from pod that you want to chat about i know you'll obviously have your post game stuff on sunday and what have you yeah i mean honestly like i i, I we don't i don't need to promote pride Detroit. why don't you guys just stay here stay follow <laughs> the, the the twitch page here aurora the lions i think you guys are doing some some fun stuff i i try to catch your twitch streams as much as as, as i can because you guys are already like months into the draft which i i I don't know how you do it, but uh, you guys have an entire draft show, which I, I think is smart and awesome. And so if you aren't, if you aren't, if you're watching live, if, if you're listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube or whatever, make sure you, you tune into the Twitch channel, because as, as I said at the top, like Twitch is so much fun. It's, it's, it's a whole different experience of, uh, of consuming Lions content. So come on over here. Thank you very much. Um, and <laughs> you, you actually did the college podcast yesterday. So what did you speak about again? Just remind us. Uh, we were just looking, uh, obviously the ball game's coming up, so we were looking at those and we were looking at the recruiting classes and the transfer portal, just see where players are landing on that. We're going to start on the draft stuff in a little bit, but there's still a long way to go yet. So, um, yeah, me and Ryan just having a competition on the ball games at the minute. But <laughs> we're starting tape review, though. So, I've said, if anyone wants any of it, we'll use caddies, we'll cut it up, we'll go onto YouTube, we'll do that. So, yeah, there's uh, 
anyone you want to look at will do it for you. It's all good fun. Yeah, hit us up on Discord or on Twitter if you want to have anyone to look at in particular. If Caddy's Cut-Ups does have games of theirs, then we will absolutely review them for you. Next episode, on Monday the 20th of December, Cardinals at Lines Review. If you want to watch along with us on game day, then we'll do something there. And, sorry. No, I was trying to say, I'm just about to die now. <laughs> I think my back is nearly <laughs> gone. But I just, no, I just want to say, well, first, obviously, really, thank you to Jeremy for coming on the show. It means a hell of a lot to us. We've followed you since the very beginning, since we did all this. And uh, it means a lot for you to come on the show. So thanks. But thanks to everyone else who's listening in, who's tuned into the shows, because obviously we're 100 in now. When we started doing this, what, 15, 16 months ago, and we had about like three people listening to us. And most of that was... <laughs> Us going back and listening to the episodes, we've, we've put an, <laughs> it was, and Steve and his mother and all that. But you know, we've put an ungodly amount of work into trying to do this and make it as and get to episode one hundred. It's just you know, we couldn't do it without the people who listen in to us and you know interact with us, and especially to all of you know all the guys over there in America who have taken us on and you know really give us the time of day because you know we're just a few Brits at the end of the day talking about a game in a different country so you know I just want to thank everyone really for that so that, I just wanted to get that in before I suddenly faded to black <laughs> <laughs> I mean so it's a hundred normal episodes but it's not just a hundred shows I mean so we've done the 17 college podcasts now we've done I think probably the rookie like reviews 15, the rookie reviews 15 different interviews with uh, guys Jason Cavinder was one of the first people to give us the time of day, and now he's the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. Great. And, I mean, obviously, like, he just came on really early on when we have absolutely no viewership going, yeah, I'll, I'll chat to you guys. Like, that that was the coolest. And Herman Moore yesterday, and go and check that out. 20 minutes of your time, which would be really worthwhile. But, yeah, thank you to the listeners, to the viewers, and to the next 100, boys. It's going to be great. Um we're all the Lions UK, socials, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook group for everyone, not associated with us, but just to come and join in with a load of guys, especially some of us who actually come over to the States, called Detroit Lions Fans UK, One Pride Worldwide. And I'm going to get back to basketball writing soon, but it's that time of year for accountants where you actually have to do some bloody work, so apologies for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad time of year for us. Tax return season, what are you going to do? Mm. Uh, it's going to be fun if the Lions actually make a playoff stretch because I'm going to be swamped. But there you go. <laughs> anyway, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you so much to Jeremy for responding on Discord when I said hi and for coming on for so long as well. Like we we really really appreciate it. Cheers, Tom, for coming on. Been a while since we've seen you, and, and hopefully we'll be back soon. We'll see you next time on the Royal Lions UK podcast. Let's go Lions! One pride. One pride. One pride. One pride.